So would you guys do me a favor and just welcome one of our executive pastors, Wilson Cochran, up here. Good morning. Thank you, Jordan. All right. So this morning, what I want to talk about is joy being in us. And I want to kind of contrast that with the idea of joy being on us. I titled my message this morning, Joy, the Great Exchange, because I feel like that was one of the greatest things that Jesus uh, did for us when he died and resurrected was he actually gave us the ability to have joy in us. Just what, what I want to propose to you is that um, anyone can have joy on them. You know, in Mark, Jesus said that God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He, said, he sends rain on the just and the unjust. What this means is that God is in a good mood. God blesses everyone. He pours blessing and a basic level of life and joy on everyone that's on earth, regardless of their relationship with him. But the special thing that we have as believers is joy actually in us. So that what this changes is joy is no longer a circumstance. Joy is something you carry within yourself. Here's where I'd put it. Um, our emotions, when you realize that joy is in you, what your emotions become are information, not definition. Because joy will start to define you. I want to unpack this and um, tell you some stories of how I've experienced this. But first, will you open up with me to Isaiah 61? Isaiah chapter 61. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. But the only verse that will be behind me is uh, verse 3, okay? Because that's what I really want to highlight. But I really like this slide. This is cool. This is the first time I've seen it. It's good. So Isaiah 61. This is a, this is a passage of scripture I've been in lately. Um, I made the goal of trying to memorize the whole thing by like a week ago. And I didn't, didn't do that. So I memorized the first three, first three verses. Um, Figured out I need a little different pace for memorizing scripture than I thought I did. How many, do you guys know that Luke, uh, the other executive pastor, has like more than a thousand Bible verses memorized? So here, here's a really quick funny aside. Luke, I tell you one really cool thing about Luke, and I'm gonna tell you one really silly thing about Luke. Luke went to Miami Oxford. That's where he graduated from college. But the whole time, or the, his sophomore, junior, and senior year attending Miami Oxford, he lived in Clifton. So he lived close to UC, but went to Miami Oxford, you know, driving more than an hour every day to go to class, but he made good use of that time memorizing scripture. And so Luke really set me like, okay, I gotta memorize more scripture. But Isaiah 61, if you pull out your Bibles, you can follow along verse one and two with me, but um, you'll see verse three in a second. So here's Isaiah 61, one. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Now here's verse three. This is the great exchange. To grant to those who mourn in Zion. Zion is talking about all of us. It's talking about everyone that's in God's kingdom, everyone that's in relationship with Jesus is considered in Zion to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, 
the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I'm gonna pray. So Jesus, we thank you so much that you made a special oil for us just to give us gladness. Thank you, you gave us a special garment just to stir up praise in our hearts and to remove weakness and a faint spirit from us. So right now, Father, I pray that that oil of gladness would begin to just be poured out upon this room. I pray that that garment of praise would begin to rest on people and there would just be an uncontainable joy that would stir in our hearts. Thank you, God, that you have replaced shame with confidence. That, that, that you've given us a headdress, a sense of self-worth, a sense of value, a sense of confidence, and you've replaced that with the ash, that you've taken the ashes away and given us that. Thank you that you've given us a renewed mind, joy, that you've given us a stronghold of joy in our thinking, and that we can have energy and ability, a garment of praise, instead of feeling weak and worn out. But I just pray a blessing over the people who feel that, God. We feel that, and I pray that you'd release energy and ability over our hearts right now this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now, I have a quick disclaimer as we talk about emotions. There's a kind of trap that I have fallen into before that maybe some of you guys can relate to, and it's when you're feeling an emotion that isn't joy, that isn't peace, that isn't happiness, that isn't um, patience or whatever, and then you start to beat yourself up because you're not feeling that other emotion. Well, here's what I wanna tell you. Negative emotions are not sinful, okay? So experiencing a negative emotion, you shouldn't feel shame for that, you shouldn't feel condemnation, you shouldn't feel bad about that, but what you should realize is God's inviting you to the great exchange. What you're experiencing in that moment is actually something that he wants to exchange. This comes back to that idea that emotions are information, they're not definition. Emotions inform us of something happening within us, but they don't actually define what is happening within us. And they don't define who we are in our identity. Does that make sense? So Jesus said it like this in John 15, 11. He said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, the secret to everything I'm saying this morning is that we have Jesus's joy in us. That's a pretty good deal, okay? I love it when I have joy on me. I love it when my circumstances are positive and when um, I've had Skyline and, you know, the Reds have won and I haven't gotten in any arguments with my spouse, you know, that's joy on me, okay? Because it's about the things that are happening around me or impacting me and are building me up. But how many of you know that in order to be somebody that gives joy away, you need to know that you have joy inside of you. The things that are inside of you are the things that you can give away. Things that, are, that come on you, you know, that's a blessing. I'm excited about that. But the things that are in you are actually a weapon. They're a weapon you can wield against the enemy, against negative circumstances. And the, the thing that um, is special about earth is that things get formed in us through affliction and trial and pain and suffering. That's how things get formed in us. Do you guys hear that? Hopefully that stops, but it's okay. Um, 
So things that are in you, you can give away. Things that are in you are a weapon. And this is actually the defining message of the new covenant, the covenant of grace, is that God wanted to change you on the inside. That you didn't, it's no longer about um, external change to please God. It's internal change has made you pleasing to God. And then external things will flow from that. But you have to believe, you have to recognize that there's been something fundamentally changed inside of you. Now, how do you get changed finally on the inside? You accept Jesus. You say, Jesus, I wanna follow you. I wanna open the door of my heart to um, let you in. And I wanna actually show you guys a quick video. I was just in Pakistan for uh, almost two weeks. Then I was in India with Robbie Dawkins. Um, awesome guy, look him up. But we were in Pakistan and you know, Pakistan's a 97% Muslim country. So they're just ready for revival to break out. You know, the less Christians, the more, um, the more uh, ready. <laughs> I couldn't think of something, something special to say there, but the, I just look at that as like a target, you know, when there's, when there's people that are, there's a high hunger for God in places where there's more darkness. Because that's just showing us the, um, the measure that God wants to pour out. Like think about how exciting that is. There's 97% of a country that's ready just to smash, to come crashing into the kingdom. What will happen when that happens? But anyways, we were in, uh, we were in Pakistan and um, you know, we were there just to share Jesus' love with people, to train up pastors. And we were in the, the capital of Karachi and then we went to a couple other cities. And the last night we were leaving our hotel, I uh, got the chance to actually lead um, one of the young ho um, hotel workers to Jesus. And I just showed him the picture on my phone of Jesus knocking on the door of his heart, got to share with him that Jesus is more than a prophet and that there's so much more to Jesus than he's been taught through Islam. Which, you know, by the way, Islam's like, on one hand, a really great witness to Jesus, but then there's a terrible deception within Islam about Jesus. But if you start with the good stuff in Islam, you can kind of build on that and there's already a lot of respect for Jesus. Muslims love Jesus. There's just a key missing link that they haven't been taught. And there's like a veil over their eyes as to who Jesus is. Kind of like the Jews, you know? They don't understand that Jesus is more than just a prophet. So anyways, I had the awesome ex um, in this exchange with this young guy named Taha. And we're, we're Facebook messaging still, and I'm, I'm trying to help him just be discipled. And I just ask you, pray for him, because he really... He, he needs our prayers. He needs us to intercede for him. But I wanna show you a video of what it looks like when you get the great exchange of joy, okay? So here's a video just moments after Taha accepted Jesus of me talking to him. So Taha, what just happened with um? He's Jesus on the right. Hi, Ladyman, and I feel so great right now. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. So, so great, bro. Welcome to the family. Thank you so much. So Thank happy you for, for you. Let's play it one more time just so they can, so he's on the right. So Taha, what just happened with um, Jesus at the door? I let him in and I feel so great right now. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. So, so great, bro. Welcome to the family. Thank you so much. So Thank happy for you. So I said, Taha, what just happened? And he said, I let him in and I feel so great. You know, that's the great exchange. Jesus wants to exchange the pain and the suffering that people are carrying on the inside for a beautiful headdress for the oil of gladness, for a faint spirit. And the way he does that is through us, through our life, through the outflow of our realization of that. 
And that's why it's so important that we realize this is something within us. Joy is something that doesn't happen to us from the outside. It's something that bubbles up from the inside. John 15, 11, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So, this is something that God has really been doing in my life lately with joy, is, is helping me get this like stronghold of thinking, this, this established belief that joy is f- first and foremost in me rather than a circumstance. And um, it's really like a belief anchor. It's just a way that I wanna approach life. I wanna start believing that I am joyful. I heard a, a guy named Graham Cook say it this way. In the kingdom, you renew your mind by starting with the outcome. The way that you renew your mind is starting with the outcome. He, he, he realized this when he had a terrible illness, he had this really bad virus, and instead of thinking of himself as a sick man who needed healing, he started thinking of himself as a whole person who was sick. He was starting with the outcome of, I'm a whole person in Jesus, and I'm definitely sick. I'm not gonna deny what's happening in my body and the reality that I'm sick and that I'm in pain, but I'm not gonna let that become my identity. And it gave him a place to fight towards something. So I've been trying to, I've been trying to really focus my heart on that, that um, I'm a joyful person that right now is experiencing some sadness. Or I'm a joyful person that right now is feeling kind of cloudy. And, and just starting there, um, here's a quote from a book called Victorious Emotions, which I would just super recommend that everyone in this room buy and read. Who all has, owns that book or has read Victorious Emotions? Cool, like three people and they're all women. That's because women are smarter than men. <laughs> and that makes me the smartest man in the room. Who raised their hand? Oh, my, <laughs> all right. Well, where do I get it? Where do you think I learned, you know? I got it from Van, my dad. So here's a quote from um, Victorious Emotions from Wendy Backland, who, by the way, we're having Wendy come here in January. That's gonna be really sweet. And we're gonna try and have Steve back again in the future. So um, Steve and Wendy Backland are powerful uh, ministers out of Bethel Church in Redding, California. And um, we had Steve here last, or earlier this year, so we're gonna have Wendy later, but. Here's a, here's a quote from her book, Victorious Emotions, that unfortunately I read at the end of my trip. <laughs> my, my, I went through a lot of warfare on the trip, to be honest. There were days that I just felt like, why am I here? Why did I come on this trip? I don't belong here, blah, blah, blah. And this, this was all stirring in my heart on this missions trip I was on. And um, I, I worked through it, but this quote from the book was like a real eye-opener as I was flying home to Cincinnati. This is God speaking to Wendy, the author of the book. He said, Wendy, asking yourself how you feel today is the wrong question. He said, you should instead ask yourself, what do I believe today? Wendy, asking yourself how you feel today is the wrong question. You should instead ask yourself, what do I believe today? Now, here's what I think God is saying. If the only question you ever ask yourself is how do I feel, it's the wrong question. If that's the first and only question you ever ask yourself, how do I feel, then that's as you're gonna be limited to your feelings. That's why we should start by asking ourselves, what do I believe today? 
Well, I believe that I have Jesus' joy in me. I believe that I'm a new creation. I believe that I was saved by grace and not by my own performance. I believe that God is in a good mood and that Jesus really, 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 really likes me. You know, believing that God isn't like excited and a cheerleader for you, if you believe anything short of that, what you think is that God tolerates you. If you believe anything short of the fact that God is overwhelmingly happy with you, that he's excited when you wake up, that he anticipates you spending time with him every day, then really subconsciously, you're just thinking God tolerates me. So I believe that God doesn't tolerate me, he champions me. I believe God's going before me into every conversation, that God's, um, that he's with me and he's next to me, he's not distant. So I'm starting with, what do I believe? What does the Bible tell me I should believe? And then assessing my emotions. And then assessing where there's disconnect. And, and that's what it, that's in essence starting from the outcome. Starting in truth. Does that make sense? So I believe that joy in me is a weapon. And I believe that joy on me is a perk. Joy in me, that influences my identity. That's linked to my beliefs. Joy on me that's based off circumstances, and it's really a gift. It's really great, but it's a gift, fundamentally, when joy is on me. Um, to demonstrate more how, why I think in is superior to on, several years ago, everyone say that, in is superior to on. In is superior to on. You guys should go back and listen to the podcasts and listen to us trying to get you guys to say things. And it's like, say this, in, on, ah. So... You guys just did it great though, okay? Um, so I was in Zimbabwe several years ago. We've partnered with these amaz this amazing apostolic leader in uh, Zimbabwe named Romulus. And he's just a really awesome guy. And we actually got the chance several years ago to go and to kind of um, rub shoulders with him and minister with him. And we found out there's this real heart connection and that he wanted to start a bunch of house groups. And so Luke and I and Van and the other leaders here got to help him start a whole network of house groups in Harare, Zimbabwe. And you know that the unemployment rate in Zimbabwe is 95%. So one of the problems is that people are really limited when it comes to transportation. So having these house groups spread all around the city has made, it, has made um, the kingdom and just Jesus and, and life really accessible. You don't have to travel to one location, but you can pop into these house groups. You know, that's our vision for Cincinnati, is there'd be house groups all over the city and that people would actually go through the doors of a house group before they even come in the doors of this church. That would be really cool. But anyways, Romulus in Zimbabwe, we were at a restaurant, Luke and I took a whole team with us, and um, we were in a restaurant, at the end of the day, they took us to the kind of like westernized part of town where there's this Irish pub, and we had a great meal, and uh, half of the team went outside and we're sitting in some of the booths outside. And I came outside and I uh, walked up to one of the guys um, with us named, uh, from, from Cincinnati named Aaron. And Aaron has this like scowl on his face. I'm like, what's going on, man? And he said, these dudes took Brian's phone and they won't give it back to him. And I was like, what are you talking about? And Brian was one of the Zimbabwean guys that we were partnering with. Um, and he was sitting in a booth like right here, and here's the wall, and then here's the next booth, and he said, those guys in that booth took Brian's phone, and we're standing back like right here. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What happened? Why? And he said, Brian was taking a selfie, and they thought he was trying to take a picture of them, so they demanded that he give them their phone. And these guys were just thugs. Like, 
I don't know what their deal was, but they were just bullying Brian, basically. And so literally, without thinking, without asking any more questions, I just walked over to the table and I said, hey, will you give my fr friend his phone back? And he said, no. And I said, okay. And I just reached on the table and grabbed it and yanked it off. And in the process, they were like grasping for my arms and like bumping their beer. And I just pulled the phone away. And I was like, okay, like, here you go, Brian. And he took the phone and they just freaked out. The dude jumped up, starts like yelling, jumps over a, a banister. And he's like, you know what you did? And just yelling at us. And we're like, what is the big deal? Like it was his phone. You can't just take his phone because he took a picture. So what happened there was there was something in me and I just responded, okay? I didn't think or wait for, um, like, to make sure the circumstances were right. I just said, oh, that's my friend's phone. And I didn't even think, but what was it within me, what was motivating me inside, it just rose up and I just acted, grabbed the phone, took it off, gave it back to Brian. Now, this turned into a humongous hoopla, just to give you, like, the inside scoop. Basically... The vice president, or the president's son was at the restaurant we were at. And these guys were part of his like secret service attache, like his bodyguard. And so I punked the secret service of Zimbabwe, okay? But <laughs> accidentally, I didn't know that if I, hadn't, if I hadn't just responded to what was in me and I had found out what was around me, I might not have done that. <laughs> But they like shuttle us off and we leave and we find out the next day that Romulus and all the Zimbabweans were like held there for like an hour as they tried to intimidate them into getting me to come back and apologize. But, but Romulus, it turns out, actually knew the vice president's son. They went to college together. And so they brought Romulus over to him to intimidate and Romulus was like, hey buddy. And they like did a handshake and they're like, oh no, what do we do now? But what was happening there is there was something in me and it became a weapon. I just, I just stepped out and what, was, what God had been, what was already established in me. Because I'm a confident person. That's, that's where I start from. So I believe I'm confident in every circumstance. I believe that God tells, is showing me what to do. I don't believe that I enter a circumstance and don't know what to do. I believe that God has always provided a way for me to know what to do. And he's given me a beautiful headdress. And he's poured the oil of gladness on me. I, I would rather have just a baseball cap, Lord. Can I exchange that beautiful headdress for a Reds hat? But I'll take the headdress. Um, and the garment of praise, it's just resting on me. So I don't need to wonder, I don't need to, I don't need to quiver and decide, like, because I have those beliefs established. I'm, I'm, I'm building these strongholds. And I, I say this to you guys really from a place of weakness. Because if you knew what some of my weeks were like as I prepared to preach, I, it wouldn't be like this mighty man of God that is so confident. It's like I'm fighting for what I believe because there's so much anxiety and there's so many other emotions coming at me. But I center myself on what's in me. And I center myself on what I believe. Now, I want to read to you guys um, the Palm Sunday passage of of Jesus entering Jerusalem, just to set the stage for what we're gonna do later in the service with the, uh, the joy tunnel, with the fire tunnels, where we just have to walk through and all the kids are gonna pray. Kind of think of it like this. Jesus said, let the children come to me. They're, they're trying to, um, to keep the kids away from Jesus. And he said, no, let all the kids come to me. So here's what I want. The people that Jesus said to come to him to pray for me. That's what we're gonna do today by having the kids pray for us. It's the... It's gonna be really good. Okay, um, 
Luke 19. Let's read the triumphal entry passage where Jesus comes into Jerusalem. This is right before he's going to be crucified and killed. And this is kind of like him being received as Israel, as their Savior. So starting in verse 29. When he drew near, um, okay, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I love this passage. And it's actually something, one of the reasons this passage is really special to me is because um, verse 31, when Jesus says, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. That's the verse that my wife quoted the day she got baptized. She wasn't my wife yet, um, but I, I was there because I liked her. And... Uh, <laughs> She, she was in, I'll never forget, she's standing in the tub um, down at the church she went to, down at Clifton. And they said, like, do you want to say anything? And she said, yeah. And she pulled her Bible out and said, last night I read this verse. What, if anyone asks you why you're untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. And she said, that's me. I'm just saying today that I'm the Lord's cult and that whatever he needs, I'm here. He can take me. And I just want to plant the seed in the room right now that I think there's some people here who are maybe on the fence Maybe you're here this morning, you're just checking God out, you're just checking church out, and you're trying to decide, like, do I want to go all in or not? Well, here's what I want to say. God has need of you, okay? Say yes to Jesus for a greater thing. God has need of you. And I want you to think about that as we um, pray this morning, as we worship, that God actually has need of you. There's a purpose you're here this morning, and God has a plan for your life, and he actually has need of you. Verse 37 as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. I love this because I think this is a good example of them stirring joy from within. Because they're not praising God for mighty works in the moment that they were seen, but they were recollecting Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. They were recollecting the person with leprosy that's contagious coming up to Jesus and Jesus basically hugging them and healing them. They're recollecting Jesus multiplying the food. They're recollecting Jesus healing the blind man. And what that did was that stirred something within that, stirred joy, and they began to rejoice. They began to praise. But it started from the inside. Now, verses 37 and 38, I propose to you that this is evidence that they did do fire tunnels in the Bible, Okay? Because there's people on both sides and Jesus is riding through on a donkey and they're worshiping and cheering and shouting and rejoicing as he walks through the middle. That's basically the fire tunnel. 
What that reminds me of is Jesus' birth. <coughs> Jesus' birth, Luke 2, verses 10 to 14. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. I love this picture because I imagine it like they're seeing the angel and the angel is giving them this news that Jesus is born, that your king is born. And then, so it's like already, wow, we're seeing an angel. That's really cool. There's already one layer of like the supernatural realm that's revealed to them. But then it goes a step further and more angels all of a sudden are there. Now here's what I wanna say. This is what I think. Those other angels were already there. They didn't come in that moment. There was just another layer taken off and they were able to see more of what was happening in the spirit realm. They were seeing what was already happening. There was rejoicing. They got to see the one angel give the announcement and then boom, oh man, there's way more actually that are rejoicing. What I wanna tell you guys is there's so much more happening in the spirit realm and in the supernatural realm than, we, than we're actually seeing with our eyes and that we're actually aware of. It's so important that we remember that when we do these um, prophetic acts and these joy tones and the fire tones because sometimes we walk through and it's like, I honestly don't feel any different. <laughs> I'm, you know, it's, I'm, I'm happy and everything, but I don't really, didn't necessarily feel something. Well, I just wanna propose that even when you don't feel something, there's still something happening. But maybe you just didn't see it. Maybe it wasn't revealed to you in that moment. Now here's the thought I wanna leave you with. The last thing that, um, the last verse that I read in, in Luke, uh, Luke 19, verse, verse 40. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I'm gonna read that in a couple different translations. That's just radical that the rocks would cry out if they didn't praise. Here's, what, here's the Passion Translation. Listen to me. If my followers were silenced, the very stones would break forth with praise. New Living says, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. The King James, good old King James says, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Here's my thought, okay? This is the thought I wanna land us on. If we hold our joy back, something else is gonna respond. So it's like, that's how extreme of a response would be elicited if they didn't worship is stones, inanimate objects that don't have life in them would be forced into praise and to singing. So what that does is that gives us permission to be that extreme on the other end. If that's how extreme it is when no one praises, then how extreme should it be when we praise? Are you following me? This is licensed to get really happy in church and to really worship with all your heart, to really raise your arms, to really jump, to really dance, to really shout, to really smile. Because if we don't, the stones are going to. It's an invitation to all of us that, man, we can just worship with our full heart and it's legal. Because if we don't, the stones are gonna cry out.
So I'm gonna pray, and I just wanna tell you that you have joy in you, okay? You have joy in you. It's, it's bigger and it's better than joy being on you. Joy on us is great, but you have something within you to be released. You have Jesus' joy in you. So Jesus, will you just um, create a stronghold in our thinking to where we start from a place of joy, to where our, um, our emotions are influenced by our beliefs, and help us have quick accounts with our own hearts to where we're um, experiencing something and we can actually process it with you, but no, not let any shame or condemnation be heaped on us when we're um, feeling down or feeling bad, but that through connection with you, we can come into alignment with your heart for us. So right now, I just pray grace on everyone in the room to have joy within them and to realize the joy that's within them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, I'm gonna welcome up my dad. He's gonna do something. Great message, Will. Uh, hey, good morning, everyone. Wasn't that a good message? Man, yeah, that's awesome. I, I look around and I see everyone here and I think of uh, us starting the church 19 years ago and I can't, I just, it's, it, I'm dumbfounded at what God's done. Let's just put it that way. It's really awesome to see. Um, what I wanna do right now in introducing the offering is have a short family talk about our budget and so, first of all, I want to say this. We don't do this very often. We don't talk about the church's finances like um, maybe once or twice a year. But um, so if you're a guest, you can listen in. You can um, get your cell phone out, play a game. You can go out and get a cup of coffee if you want to. But uh, we, we just would focus this as a church family talk. Normally, we would have this talk earlier in the year, but... Uh, we've been revamping our financial system this year, and we put this off until we had that all done. So I want to tell you this, how, how we set our yearly budget, all right? Um, it starts off with us asking the question, what does God want to do this year? And with, with every department head really prayerfully asking that question, what's God want to do in this area of the church's life? And then we ask the question, how much is that going to cost? And then we ask the question, what, what's God going to provide? And to, to determine that, we look back at the previous year's giving, and we ask then prayerfully, what can we expect as far as increase this year? What's reasonable? What do we have to adjust? Uh, and, and, and all of this is, uh, is done with a lot of prayer and really, um, really seeking God. But um, here, here's the thing. Any organization, especially a church, when it starts, there's a big risk because you really have nothing. And so you take a big risk, you step ahead like that, and then God, God meets the need. That's pretty comfortable right there, isn't it? God met the need, let's just stay right here. But what you have to do to move ahead is, you have to take another risk. And then step up, God meets the need. And every time you come to a point where you're, you're hitting this place where you say, well, Look at all, I mean, we're growing numerically. That means more ministries. That means more staff as well as other, other things in our culture like healthcare costs and things like that. But you, you take another step ahead and then you see, God, you see God meet this need or maybe even a little bit more. And the tendency is to just say, well, okay, we've seen God do that three or four times, four or five times, maybe six or eight or 10 or 12 times. And... Um, you know, now it's time just to play it safe. 
that's always that's always where that's always where churches get. You're tempted to say, "Can we expect God to keep doing that?" And I just want to say, isn't that a stupid question? <laughs> the very thing that should increase our faith leads us to the point of saying, "Well, you know, you know, God's you know, God doesn't doesn't have that much money, or He doesn't have that much. He can't provide that much." So, so the the goal for us is to be able to say, "We have a good budget." We have a reasonable budget. Everything in it, we believe, is, is designed to bless this church in the sense of us being able to fulfill our call and our mission. So that all said, um, this year we probably need about a 5% increase in our general fund giving. And, and in past years, we've had eight, last three or four years, we've had 8% increase, 3% increase, 5% increase. So a 5% increase is not out of, out of, out of uh, expectation. But actually, I think it's going to be an 8% increase. I just had a sense of that. I, I think that's what God's saying, that at the end of the year, we're going to look back and there's going to be an 8% increase, which is going to be a wonderful thing as far as this church body fulfilling its mission. And when I say that I'm talking about the... The general fund giving that run, actually takes care of the daily operations of the church, you know, pays the staff, pays for the buildings, and, and, and everything else involved in that. So, um, so, so we're not talking about special projects like the project to send Wilson to Pakistan and, and to send money to Robbie, which... By the way, you gave so generously. It was just amazing. And we were able, to, we are in a position now to send money to Robbie just to bless his ministry, as well as having sent Wilson to Pakistan. But uh, we are going to start in a couple of weeks another special project, and that is to uh, refresh the building. We'll talk more about that. It's really based on our live streaming capabilities, and we really want to upgrade what we're doing as far as streaming the service. We'll talk about that in uh, the week after Easter. We'll start talking about that. But this is all just has to do with the uh, general fund, regular, ongoing giving. And no guilt, no guilt intended in this at all. Don't want anyone to go away from here feeling like, um, like you're being pressured. But I do believe we all have the right to know, you know, what's happening. And so we can all pray about it. And so we can all say, God, how do you want me to respond to this? How do you want me to be involved? And let me tell you, a lot of people here are giving so, just so excessively. It's just amazing. And I'm not saying to you, if, if you're already giving 50, 15% of your income, I'm not saying you've got to make it 20 or anything like that. I'm, this is just communication so we can all pray. One last thing I want to end with. Um, sometimes it's wise to check our giving. Last fall, Lori and I give through the app. And so last fall, our personal savings account started growing. And, and I'm thinking, wow, God's just really blessing us. Look at this. We're just, look at all the extra money we have. And I couldn't figure out why, but I, I didn't investigate it. I just thought, okay, yeah, God's blessing us. Then when we got our financial statements at the end of the year, I found out we hadn't given anything from September to December because in August we had a credit card change. And I, and by the way, we pay our credit cards off every month. So we're not like giving on debt or anything like that. But I assumed she changed it. She assumed I changed it. Now, I tell you this, 
just because I want to, I want to share the principles with you. But uh, Lori and I, in the way we look at things, we say, well, okay, we got to, you know, that extra money we have in the bank account, we know what that's for, and we got to give that now because that's what we had planned to give before, and we didn't. And for us, that's not legalism. It's not even duty. It's just we want to be part of what's happening in this church, and, and we, want, we, want to see this, we want to see this church, as it's called to be a regional church, we want to see that happen, and we want to see that move ahead. And so I just, I invite you all to pray with us about that and um, um, just with confidence. You know, God, God is the provider and his resources are not limited. And uh, we're just so thankful for you and thankful we all get to serve God together like this.